live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Welcome back to Voices in My Head, episode number 65. I can't believe we're already there, but here we are, and as Jerry Reed once said in his song Eastbound and Down from the movie Smokey and the Bandit, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so we are not going to delay any longer. I want to start out today by reminding you that Basement Psalms Live is available to buy. You can get the full video for only $5.99 at getmopix.com. That's G-E-T-M-O-P-I-X.com. Look up Rick Lee James or Basement Psalms Live when you're there, and you'll be able to buy the entire live video. And you can download that for any of your mobile devices there. Only $5.99 for just a little bit longer. Also, this Friday night, for those of you in the Springfield, Ohio area, at Beacon of Hope Bookstore in the Kairos Coffee Coffee Shop, I will be having my release party for Basement Psalms Live. It's been out for about a month now, and we're going to just have a party night. I will be providing the cake. So if you're in the area in Springfield, Ohio, or somewhere near there, even if you're not near, come on, drive down, get a hotel. We're going to have a good time that night. It starts at 7 o'clock. $5 suggested donation, but if you can't afford $5, you're welcome anyway. Going to have live music and, like I said, cake, so feel free to drop in. Now, I wanted to read you a review uh, that came in for Basement Psalms Live. I'm reading this from iTunes, uh, and I'm pretty excited. Please keep the reviews coming. Uh, I, I just This isn't a podcast review. This is actually for the new live album. And this is what it says. It says, I really shouldn't have liked Basement Psalms. I tend not to be a fan of most Christian music. I find much of it shallow and a tad pretentious. Additionally, I tend to be pretty picky about music in general. Needless to say, the deck was stacked against this one from the outset. Then I gave it a listen. Not only did I like it, I was blown away. The quality of Rick's music is phenomenal. He is a first-class musician and vocalist. From a pure aesthetic standpoint, there isn't a dull moment on the album. But what really makes the project work are the lyrics. Rick does an amazing job adapting the psalms while retaining their power and message. One of the things I love most about the liturgy in my own Catholic tradition is hearing the psalms sung week in and week out. It was one of the things that made me fall in love with the Mass when I first became Catholic. Rick's music on this album recaptured that same experience. Hearing the psalms perform brings out their powerful messages in ways that reading them simply cannot. For those like me who are often skeptical of the Christian music scene, this is the album for you. It's raw and powerful with music and lyrics that will stick with you long after the final track has ended. And I thank you so much for that wonderful review. That's maybe the best review that I've ever received on an album, so I really appreciate that. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, go to rickleejames.com. You'll be able to find more information about it there. Uh, I'd love to get you hooked up with a copy of Basement Psalms Live. Again, if you can make it out this Friday, uh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time together at the Beacon of Hope Bookstore. Well, that's enough of the advertisement for Basement Psalms Live. We're going to move on to another uh, segment that I like to call, and I believe you like to call it this as well, the Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Did you ever have an experience that made you feel like you stepped out of reality? Tony James answered, When I found out that I was going to be moving to California, I felt that way. I had always wanted to visit, and when the Lord opened the door for me to move there, it just seemed almost unreal. And Darlene Perrin wrote in a great story, and uh, I first want to say uh, my condolences again to Darlene and her family. Darlene just recently uh, suffered the loss of her father, and uh, so our thoughts, our prayers are with you as your church family, Darlene. But thank you for writing in this week. It's been a long time uh, since you answered question of the week. Uh, she says, when I was a teenager still living with my parents, I think maybe 18 years old or so, I was extremely upset about something. I couldn't tell you now what it was. Anyway, it was late at night, and I was crying and praying. I didn't want my parents to hear me, so I went out back on the patio. It was a clear sky with stars everywhere. I continued to cry and pray. 
Then, suddenly felt like the stars had come down and were actually surrounding me. Then I felt what can only be described as a full-body hug, from the top of my head all the way down to my toes. I felt then, and now, that this was literally a hug from God, and He was letting me know that everything will be okay. What a mighty God we have. Thank you, Darlene, very much for that story. And uh, again, our prayers are with you and your family right now at your loss. Uh, thank you for sharing. It is a great reminder that uh, that God is near. Um, well, that's it for question of the week right now. Uh, I got it out kind of late this week, but it's okay because uh, my guests this week, which were many, um, all answered question of the week. <laughs> well, really two of them out of the three answered, and uh, it's pretty funny and pretty long. So what I'm going to do is after uh, our regular podcast interview today, I'm going to feature their answer to question of the week, and it takes somewhere around five minutes or so for them to answer, but it's a very, very funny story. So thanks, everybody, for answering everyone's favorite game well just before we get to the interview i did want to let you know about something that is happening that i'm pretty excited about i'm actually writing a book and i should have mentioned this up front when i was talking about basement psalms live but i wanted to write something that uh would would talk about really what the album was about, but go much deeper than that. And since this whole new album is about the Psalms, this is a book about the Psalms, specifically the Psalms that I've recorded on the album. Now, if you think it's just kind of a rehashing of some of my lyrics, it's not that at all. This is uh, going a lot deeper, a lot more in-depth into the Psalms. It actually has a lot of the research that I did in preparing for the Psalms. And if you know anything about me, you know that when I do a sermon, when I write a song, when I do anything that is uh, based from the Bible, I want to do my research and make sure I know what it is that I'm talking about. So um, I'm about four chapters in the writing of this book. I have about, uh, I, uh, I had about a 10-week uh, time frame that I was shooting for. I'm already way ahead of that schedule. Um, the editor is in process working on it. As I'm sending chapters out, he's working on it. So I uh, just wanted to keep you posted about that very soon. Hopefully sometime in about the next two months, uh, the book will be complete and we'll be able to get it published and out to you guys on ebook and in uh, also print form. So be watching for that. Well, moving into the actual interview section today, I had the unique and wonderful opportunity this week of going to see an exhibit in Cincinnati, Ohio at a place I can only refer to as the Hall of Justice. Now, if you go to the Cincinnati Museum Center, uh, you'll be able, their website, I mean, or if you go there <laughs> actually in person, you'll be able to see that the place looks a lot like the Hall of Justice that used to be on the Super Friends cartoon. Come to find out that uh, the Hall of Justice on the Super Friends cartoon was actually modeled after this very Cincinnati Museum. Center. So, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, I, maybe that's my unreal experience, you know, that it seemed like I was actually going into the place of my childhood dreams. I even have a toy uh, of the Hall of Justice down in my basement. Little did I know that when I was a kid, I was actually playing with superheroes and action figures in the Cincinnati Museum Center all along. Uh, but let me get back to my story, and then we're going to get into the interview today. I had the chance to go with three other ministry buddies from Kentucky. Uh, we met at the museum, and we went inside to see a, an exhibit of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, this exhibit... Sp I can't talk today. This exhibit specifically uh, was showing the oldest parchment containing the Ten Commandments on it, which was a pretty neat exhibit. I have to say, if you have a chance, uh, even if it comes to your city sometime, I would encourage you to go. Uh, in case you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, and particularly uh, this exhibit that I was there to see, uh, here's the description from the CincinnatiMuseum.org. Discovered in 1952 in Cave 4 near Kerbet Qumran, the Ten Commandments scroll is a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The scrolls were discovered between 1947 and 1956 in a series of caves, found initially by a Bedouin shepherd, uh, that are near the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. They are believed to date from around 250 BCE to 68 CE. When the scrolls were discovered, the area was part of the British Mandate for Palestine. It is now part of Israel. The condition of this scroll is exceptional. 
The scroll is the most complete and best preserved ancient example of the Ten Commandments in the world. Ancient parchment, which is made from animal skin, is very fragile. In addition to destruction caused in fires, floods, or battles, parchment can be damaged by humidity, light, and variations in temperature. It is remarkable that the Ten Commandments scroll has survived until today. So that's what we were there to see. It was a really, really interesting exhibit, at least for me. It probably wasn't so interesting for the three busloads of teenagers that were there, I'm sure only because they had to be for an assignment. Uh, but for people like me who have interest in the ancient culture and understanding scripture more, uh, it was a really rewarding experience to be able to go and be a part of that. Now, the three friends that I met, they were Chad Cook, Matthew Cole, who has been a frequent guest on the show, and Justin Hayes. Uh, three incredible ministers, three good friends that I uh, was pleased to be able to meet up with and spend some time with. Now this uh, conversation that you're about to hear, literally we were at this little cafe somewhere in the heart of Cincinnati. I couldn't even tell you exactly where it was. I think I could find it again if I went and found it. Uh, But we sought out a place that we could have a conversation and talk and eat and we had just finished our meal at this little cafe and decided to have a conversation about the Dead Sea Scrolls about ministry and uh, I think you're going to enjoy what's in store Uh, it's a light conversation at the conclusion of our conversation together I'm going to be playing that question of the week which actually is answered by Matt and Justin so I hope you guys enjoy our conversation on the Dead Sea Scrolls on ministry and us also just kind of joking around. So uh, thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. Here goes. All right, this is another On the Road episode of Voices in My Head. We are here in Cincinnati, Ohio at the Sunny Belly, an Asian cuisine restaurant. I'm sure you have never found it. We barely did. It's here someplace in some building that exists somewhere inside of the space and time continuum. Uh, We're sitting at a table. We've just finished a delicious lunch. If I took a quick walk around the room, we would see Kit Kat bars and Snickers next to a soda machine. Also, if we walk over, we see a whole bunch of tables. That's where we are now. My guest today, uh, one of them is sitting and laughing his head off hysterically. His name is Matthew Cole. He is an old friend of the show and uh, and glad that he could be here with us today. The reason we're here together, I'm going to have uh, the other guests introduce themselves. But we recently, within the last what, hour and a half, finished up an exhibit of the Dead Sea Scrolls at the Cincinnati Museum. Is it called the Museum Center or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. So uh, we thought this would be a good opportunity, uh, four of us ministerial type people, to sit and have a conversation about some ministry type things today. And we even talk a little bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we've been having a good time laughing together, so if you get some just incoherent, funny nonsense uh, that's inside jokes or whatever, well, you're used to that because this is my show. So uh, anyway, we'll start here with Matthew Cole. He has been on the episode numerous times before, but just for people that may not have heard before, tell them who you are and where you minister at. I'm uh, Matthew Cole. I minister at Calvary Church of the Nazarene in Lexington, Kentucky. And next to you is? Chad Cook. I also minister at... Uh, Lexington Calvary. And you're a min- uh, associate? I'm an associate. Okay. Yeah, I work with the youth. Great. And then right next to me here? I'm Justin Hayes, and I'm the pastor of Frankfurt First Church of the Nazarene in uh, Frankfurt, Kentucky. All right. Well, these guys are uh, all really great people, and they're people that I call friends and have gotten to know uh, more over the years. So uh, we just saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. I was happy to see that they are contained in the Hall of Justice uh, you'll see, you can look at pictures online because this museum center, it looks like probably what they modeled the Hall of Justice on the Super Friends after. <laughs> because really, um, I, I don't know any other way to describe it except for it has a big clock right in the middle of it. So it's it's somewhere between the Hall of Justice and Doc Brown's clock tower uh, from Back to the Future. So inside of that are the, the, are the holy remnants... <laughs> of the Dead Sea Scrolls that we have today. Uh, and Chad understood both references, I guess, so, uh, or at least one of them, the clock tower. The so clock tower. Chad's quite a bit younger than the rest of us. So, uh, Tell me something that you guys found interesting about the Dead Sea Scrolls, because I know Justin, especially you, have a... Uh, really, your, your studies have actually taken you a lot into into that. So go ahead and tell us a little bit. Well, there were, there were a number of things that I thought were... Um, I thought were uh, interesting and, and, and maybe even important. Uh, 
I, I, well, the whole point of the exhibit wasn't just to talk about the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, but to kind of give a, um, a historical context for the, uh, for the scrolls, why they're, why they were important then and why they're kind of important now. And, and uh, some of the things I thought were interesting was just some ideas of, of daily life in the, in the biblical era, mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, kind of, uh, how people lived, kind of the, the tools that they used, um, you know, never seen so many pots in one place, uh, in, yeah. you know, in one exhibit, but, uh, <laughs> they, they weren't useless either. They, you know, they, they, they basically said that there was a time when, when people existed and used these and, and that's the, and that's the world in which the Bible was written. And that's the world that kind of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, you know, communicate to us to, today. So mm-hmm. there, there are some is some important context that came out of it. I thought. All right, Chad. Anything stand out to you as you were uh, looking through the, the exhibit today? Um, yeah, I would say I would agree with a lot of what Justin said. As far as um, uh, I would say, for me, it just making my faith come alive in the actual documents themselves and the things that we read about I know Matthew was talking about it a little bit earlier as we are going through the things that we read about in the scriptures and then we teach about in the scriptures you know these were the you know this was just part of their everyday life these things and um, it just really struck me and I was just in awe uh, the entire time uh, just how awesome it was um, that I was actually getting to see these things these things existed thousands of years ago and here they are right in front of me and they're not buried down deep in the earth Um, yeah it was pretty neat when we was it a seal we saw whose name was it Matt um, Eliashib Eliashib uh, a seal of Eliashib that would have probably been used actually that was one of the things that I found um, most intriguing um, was as you're as you're walking through some of the exhibits they've got not only some of the um, as, as Justin mentioned, the, the pots and, and the tools that were used, but there are also uh, fragments uh, that were from this era that, that would have also communicated just, just general life, like a, this is how much a, a bill of sale would have been, or this was how much was ordered and needed to be delivered as far as uh, food supplies or whatever the case may be. And there was a, a, um, a piece of, a, of pottery <coughs> that had a... A, uh, an order of, of so much wheat and so much grain and so much wine and where it was supposed to be delivered to and references Eliashib mm-hmm. within it and it's just so interesting to say you know because we do this you know we we name drop in a conversation or we hear someone in a conversation mention someone that we know oh yeah I know so and so and to see this person that has come out of the, the text of our history and of our mm-hmm. faith minor character or not there was uh, Psalms which several times um mentioned directly uh, the name of David and just to see that uh, not only from uh, within the scrolls but on this particular uh, piece of pottery that we saw dated back to where it would have actually been the days of um, you know 8th century uh, BC and um, I think the other uh, thing that really stuck out and from what I understood in reading all the, the stuff about the exhibit is it wasn't there the entire time but we were uh, fortunate to go through the exhibit while the uh, uh, Ten Commandments were there, right. and it's the oldest um, complete um, script of, of the Ten Commandments that that in humanity existence. has. In existence, yeah. yeah. And and to stand there and look at it, it it, it has a very holy presence to it, and yeah. it, it was just remarkable to sit there and or stand there and to uh, to be that close to something that powerful as far as the text itself, and to be that close to. Um, the days of Christ. Yeah, there there were some things there that had um, you know that had transformational value. You know, I I, I thought it was I, I, I thought it was sad and funny at the same time. Was you know they had um, they had a the big rock from mm-hmm. the the big stone from the Temple Mount. And, that's and, what I was going to talk about. For my uh, thing. Thanks for stealing that. That's okay. Anything, <laughs> no, no, any, anything ahead. for you. Anything <laughs> for you. And um, I, I on the one hand I thought it was on the one hand I thought it was interesting that. Uh, you know, here is a here here's a, a rock. It has you know has no feeling, has no um, you know has no emotion. It's not alive or anything like that. But it's still it still is sacred. It has uh-huh. you know it, it's it's from a place that uh, it has been like the center of religion for 
for 2,000 years, or, or, or actually longer than that, about 2,500 years. And, you know, and it's, and there, there is a holiness to it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, you know, watching kids who don't understand its, its significance kind of, you know, bouncing all over and climbing yeah. all over and things yeah, like that. Yeah, a lot of kids there today. Yeah, a lot of kids there, more than expected. Um, and, uh, uh, and I want you to look at that exhibit without the shrugging this time. <laughs> that was what, uh, what was over <coughs> what one parent was telling her kid. I want you to look at this and I want you to stop shrugging. So. Yeah, but maybe kids are not the best audience for the Dead Sea maybe. Scrolls. But, but it was, you know, you did find yourself kind of standing, standing in awe of just, uh, you know, it, 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 there, there was something very sacred about what we were, what we experienced. Today. Well, and Matt was asking me too about that exact section of the wall. Um, I was just kind of considering, like, I was touching it and just kind of being, like, wow, Jesus could have stood on this or leaned right. against it or whatever, like, and. Uh, and Matt was Matt was saying, um, "Wonder what it is about our the human mind or whatever that we want to touch something like that." We talk about you know, blessed are those who um, who believe but have not seen. But there's still something in us that wants to see, wants to touch. And so it was a pretty neat exhibit of the day. I have to tell you, one of the neatest things I found um, at this Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit was um, the sling stones. I had no idea. When we read the story of like David and Goliath, that he goes out and picks up you know smooth stones, and Matt was pointing out, um, and I'll try to post some pictures by the way on the website so you can see these sling stones, but they were were like formed round stones about the size of maybe a tennis ball or yeah. something like that. Right there, so, right. so to be to be fist. to be clocked in the head with one of those things at a very high speed could really do some damage. Um, so literally, when when it talks about David gathering the stones, we were looking at these stones that would have been used. Then, like David was making a trip to the arsenal, as Matt was saying, you know, to walk in. Where where some people today were like, okay, let's go get our weapons. Um, he was literally grabbing like these stones like that. So that was kind of fascinating to me, just to look at uh, some of those type things. Uh, also, we were able to see some little, uh, we talk about in scripture, graven images, you know, not to make graven images and things. We literally got to see some of those. There was these little, like, heads that were used um, in in really what was Baalism, you know, in, in the time. And so we're seeing some of the remains of these things. Um, we were seeing, like, uh, an, an altar, and, and they're not like what we talk about in church or what we see in the Nazarene church at all. Um, and the old timers that talk about, you know, hanging on to the horns of the altar when they're praying don't know what they're talking about because we are actually looking at an altar uh, that has these little horns on it, you know, <laughs> around the size. And it's almost like the size of a little basin, almost like in the Catholic church where you would put, well, you know, water in it, you know. Well, that's um, not a prayer bench. Right, exactly. You know, that's it's not, not a prayer bench. It's not a prayer bench, which is what we call altars. Is really just prayer benches. By horns of the altar, you're basically saying corners. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it, it, it really is a, a complete misunderstanding many times of, um, of what we say when we mean altars and things like that. So um, from that standpoint, it was just interesting uh, for me to be able to see some of that stuff and when you're like us and we spend so much time reading and studying and talking about biblical things to actually get to enter into that world a little bit was a neat thing and to do that inside the hall of justice was you know just an amazing thing so uh now let me ask you guys while i have you here and we can certainly uh talk some more about the dead sea scrolls but uh, i guess all that was to say if you get a chance to go see the dead sea scrolls while they're here in cincinnati or wherever they may be next uh, it's really worth going to um but you guys are all ministers, and you've been in ministry for some time. Chad is probably the, the newest to this of any of us. How long have you been doing ministry? Um, um, at least in a sort of you know role where they consider you a pastor. Two, around two, two and a half years. Around two, two and a half years. Uh, be finishing up your, your third full year in May. Third yeah. full year. Oh. All right. And Matt, how about you? You're, you've been at this about as long as I have. So. Uh, it'll be... Uh, uh, 14 years come November. 14 years. How about for you? Be 17 in October. So we have a we have a wide range today. I'm I'm right at that 13, 14 year range with Matt. Um, what are some things that are that are on your minds? Because I'm always interested just to find out from pastors, and it's never hard to get a pastor to talk. I've found that you know uh, it's very rarely do I have a problem with that. But I kind of want to know 
what's on your heart right now? Like, what your heart for your people, or just maybe some things that God's showing you? Because um, I, I think I often find when I'm reading something, it doesn't matter. I'll be in three different books at the same time. Almost by accident, it seems like they all three are talking about the same thing somehow. And and not that I think God ordains every book I grab or something like that. And, and I, but maybe He does. I don't know. Um, but sometimes I feel like it's that way with pastors too and I feel like we have similar thoughts and you know two senior pastors and associate and I'm a part-time associate as well as the travels I do so just tell me any, anything on your heart and mind if I had uh, if I had the money I, w- I would give good money to have had a sound bite of crickets right as soon as you finished your question because you know pastors are always ready to talk yeah um, actually and, and this is kind of like how, how you said three books always seem to interplay mm-hmm. there was um, there was something in the exhibit today and it was uh, one of those little plates that you pass by that has information about whatever it is you're looking at and we're, we're going down and it's a it's a pretty lengthy um, exhibit um, within the whole Dead Sea Scroll exhibit and, but it's basically kind of talking about the cultus of, of worship in ancient Israel and you're walking down through there and you see the things you expected to see the, the horns of the altar that we talked about the, that mentality but there's also these uh, like you said these little idols to Asher and all of these little mm-hmm. symbols of Baal worship and we came to this one little plaque and it said it in a way that I don't think any of us have never assumed before but maybe it's a way that we don't often talk about it it said that much of what we see within the text specifically or the text proper is much more an idealized view of what the faith should be and whenever we look into this archaeological historical evidence we see that what the people were facing in that day and age is actually much more common or in line with what we're facing which is not this idealized view of where everybody gets it and everybody's faithful and everybody's praying and everybody's heart is turned towards God but rather where they're even though the command is out there, don't make graven images in so many homes, and they found it in so many archaeological digs. There's bell worship items and uh, idols and all these little things in ancient Israel, not in the other places around. And I think in a way that that's a lot of the issues that we face in, uh, in pastoral ministries because we have before us the hope, the plan, the prayer of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. which is always this idealistic um, very perfect, everybody's praying, your whole congregation's uh, actively practicing spiritual disciplines, whether they're at church on Sunday or in their house on Tuesday night, and and everything is going hunky-dory, but when the reality of it is, is when you step out of the ideal into the less real, because I still think the world of the text is that which is most significant and most real to us. But we still have a long way of go of getting there. And a lot of the things that come up in pastoral ministry are moving us from this place of what really exists in our own archaeological finds of the parishioners' homes and lives and, and what we deal with in the day-to-day junk to this ideal hope that we see in the world of the text. Yeah, so you're basically, to, to sum up what I think you're saying here is we look at the Scripture and we think, oh, well, back then they had it right. They weren't mixing things. But what we saw evidence of today was we saw evidence of worship of Yahweh mixed in with worship of Baal. And as a matter of fact, they were probably intermingled. And, and uh, Justin had pointed out that uh, one of the exhibits he was looking at was saying how they, they found these, you know, um, was it Ashira or uh, Yeah, Ashra. Ashra. Yeah. Uh, that she was basically the mistress of Yahweh or whatever. That was yeah, the so belief of the people. So it is kind of interesting that we still have that same thing going on today we may not call them idols but the people of God certainly if we were to look in our homes and in our hearts I think you'd still find that even though God calls for one thing we sure do like to mix our metaphors sort of like you know Jesus and the American ideal we, we run those together like they're the same thing and they're not um, but anyway uh, what what else have we got today any other things that... well the one thing that I the one thing that, that kind of jumped out of me, and, and it's been something that, that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is, uh, it, it, it seems that many Christians have a very small perspective on our faith, mm-hmm. right? That, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost, it's almost like the belief that Jesus walked 
walked, you know, died on a cross, rose again, ascended to heaven. The apostles went and preached for a couple of years, and then nothing happened until their local congregation was founded. Right. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then, you know, once that once it was founded, they figured out, you know, they they picked out a a, a Bible that that they believe is the right one, and and it's all very, very very small minded right mm-hmm. very very small in perspective and there's there's very little interest in um, there's very little interest in our history the the, the, the big Christian story that mm-hmm. we're all a part of and I, I even last night I even mentioned to some people in my church that I was going to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls today and they it was like well uh, is that a good thing yeah and um, and the and for me you know we I said I I I looked down today at a fragment of the book of Deuteronomy that is over 2,000 years old. Yeah. You know? And that tells me that that the faith that we have and the, the community that we belong to is so much bigger than any one of us. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, think it, and I think that there's value. I think there's, there's, I think there's, there's spiritual value in recognizing your place mm-hmm. in the big picture and the big story. And that's kind of been a that's been a that's kind of been something that, that that's something that has been on my heart of late, and I think it was just affirmed a little bit in, sure. in, in, in perusing that that exhibit today. Well, and I, and a similar thought to that, looking down at these scriptures and being reminded of the bigger connection. Uh, most of my listeners will know I have a song, "I Lift Up My Eyes," which is written from one of the Psalms, the Song of mm-hmm. Ascent, um, which is a whole section of, of, of Hebrew scripture, and. Uh, Matt and I were standing next to each other and we were looking down at maybe the oldest written manuscript of that exact psalm. I, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the maker of earth and heaven. And it just, it was amazing to me. Once again, I, I was feeling that connectedness of like, wow, this is so much bigger than me in my present time. This is, uh, this is so cosmic in... Uh, in God's saving story and, and and the diversity of people that for well over 2,000 years have been raising their eyes to the heavens to seek this God who can save and can help. And so I, that was a, a really neat yeah. moment for me in that exhibit. And Matt was telling me that that my song that I wrote was kind of going through his head as he was, which is kind of a compliment. I, I don't know if I said thank you or not, but yeah, the, the one thing though, the one thing that just kind of popped into my mind as you're talking is, you know, we look down, look down, and at this at this ancient fragment that has writing that, uh, you know, the Psalm or of Levic, of Leviticus, like I mentioned, and when the people that wrote it, it was already ancient. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like oh, they yeah. wrote something new. Yeah. It was already a thousand years old. Those words were already a thousand years old when they wrote it. Hmm. When they wrote it down on those fragments that we looked at, that's that's a big story. Yeah, that's a really For big sure. story. And what about you, Chad? Any and, and again, it can be Dead Sea Scroll related, or sure. it can just be ministry related, or a mixture of two. We seem to be doing both. So, what? what about yeah. Um, well, honestly, this is something that today is really confirmed for me, and it's similar to what Justin had been talking about uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking to Pastor Cole or Matt over here about this this realization I've had recently through my studies and. You know, searching the scriptures and uh, through this one of the books I've been reading for one of my classes at seminary, mm-hmm. that my view of Jesus is just too narrow. Hmm. Um, you know, I I've, I'm several generation Nazarene. I've always grown up in the Nazarene Church, and so I think whether it's been intentional or not, my view of who Jesus was or is is uh, always been this idea of this perfect Nazarene. Jesus was the perfect Nazarene. Um, and, I, and we laugh about it, but I, I yeah. think to a degree uh, that, that has been my viewpoint. Interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I've been reading this book uh, by Richard Foster uh, called Streams of Living Water, and he yeah. talks about the different streams of the Christian faith, or the, the different traditions, the contemplative, the charismatic, and how Jesus images all of these traditions in, in the perfect way. Um, and obviously me coming from the holiness stream, uh, I've really only gotten this one picture in my mind mm-hmm. of what it's like to be a Christian, what Christians do. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that much experience with um, the charismatic tradition or the contemplative tradition or some mm-hmm. of these other 
traditions that have been around longer than yeah. the Nazarene Church has, sure. or much longer. Yeah. And as I'm looking at these Dead Sea Scrolls and I'm thinking about uh, the things that I'm, I'm looking at as far as the pots and the, the, uh, the images that, that we saw today, it just made me realize, man, my view is too narrow. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I live in my own, my own world. I live in my own, I have my own idea of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. When really, Jesus, he, he, he's not just some figure up there, but he lived on this earth and he yeah. experienced some of these things. And yeah. um, it's just been remarkable to me. And it's something that as a youth pastor, I want my youth to be able to understand, and sure. I don't want them to have this narrow view of who Jesus is. This is the only way that Jesus mm-hmm. works, but Jesus is God. I mean, Jesus yeah. is so much more than we can encompass in a in a in a book that we write or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's excellent point that you make because I I think also being one that's well, I guess I'm third generation Nazarene. I think. Um, I, I probably grew up more to no fault of my folks or anybody else. It's just you kind of grow up knowing what you know. And um, I, I think of the Christ that we often portray in, in church, even a concept like uh, you need to get saved would be a concept I think the apostles and Paul would go, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't understand what you're talking about. Like that, like there's a different... Uh, this is something so much more cosmic than what I just do with my heart, you know. And and and, and I, I think I even see today in this Dead Sea uh, exhibit again, as Justin just reminded us that um, we're not only so narrow in our view. I even wonder if two thousand years ago they were even too narrow in their view. You know, we think about all of this that's, that's coming together. Um, well before denomination, well before Christianity itself was even established, we have still this God that is working out His story in people, um, which is just amazing to me. It's it's amazing to me sometimes. You know, I always think, well, the church is going to be gone in the next hundred years because we're just screwing it up royally. But at the same time, it's so much bigger than that. You know, it's so. Um, you have you have a thought. It looks like Matt. So. It, it takes a little while for me to warm it up. We know. Um, <laughs> But, you know, to, to a certain degree, it seems like we've run into the complication of oversimplification mm-hmm. because what we've done, and, you know, to put it into a, a historical context, the, the simplification was, okay, here are the ten words, the Decalogue, here are the, here's the ten commandments, because we mentioned that earlier. And basically what happened is, is you have a people that want to say, okay, well, okay, well, it says remember the Sabbath, so tell me, tell me just, just as simply as you can, what does that look like? explain these 10 laws to me as simple as you can and we end up with what 500 plus variations on a theme <laughs> and our our attempted simplification has turned into this incredible uh, incredible complication and we still do the same thing today we we say well you know simplify it for me break it down what does it really mean to be saved and so we turned it into you know like you said a uh, the roman road of salvation or the abcs or whatever and what we've done in our attempt to simplify it is we've made everything so complicated that even if we were to talk to the Apostle Paul or even if we were to talk to some of our brothers and sisters within the Christian faith tradition, whether Roman Catholic or Episcopal or Orthodox, and and they would look at us in, in our ABCs and say, there's so much of the Christian life you've not even touched on in your ABCs and mm-hmm. you're, you're missing this. And, yeah. and, and not to say that we're the only ones guilty of it. I'm sure they have some of those areas as well, but every time we try to simplify things, it seems like we just make them more complicated. Yeah, We complicate things, but it's well-meaning. You know, I mean, we can't, we, you know, there's, there's this, it seems to be really popular to kind of just trash the church these days and not offer any solutions. And the one thing that we sometimes forget is that, yeah, you know, we've, in the, as you mentioned, as you described, in the attempt to simplify things, we've complicated them. Um, but it's all, it's all well-meaning. You know, it, you know, the, the one thing is, you know, Christians take seriously uh, when Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We take that seriously, and so we get really serious about wanting to know what's true. And um, and that sometimes takes us places that maybe we shouldn't go, but we just want to know the truth, and, and, and we want to be liberated by that. But it doesn't change the fact that in the attempt to, to explain things and to discover what's true, we, we do complicate it. We do complicate it. Well, <laughs> on the other side of that, uh, we can do a lot of really terrible things when we're being well-meaning, 
Agreed. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say that too, and that's not to, to bash, but you know, recently reading the works of Martin Luther about how <laughs> how we should uh, uh, you know make sure and do all we can to destroy the Jewish people for no other reason than the fact that they rejected Jesus. Now that's Martin Luther's view, not yours, right? Not mine. <laughs> yeah. No, but that ended up driving the Holocaust. Exactly. I mean, it was it was sure. literally what we call the father of the Reformation. He was their impetus for. The, the, that whole movement and so at the same time we're like we want to be well-meaning but at the same time that's no excuse for bad theology Agreed. either at the same time so it's it's it is a good mix of all this together that that i think our people need to learn that too and we need to be able to point to them and yep. say because most of the time we're faced with people who are intending love and meaning well, and, and thankfully most of the people I know aren't capable of starting a holocaust or anything like that. At least we don't think so. Yeah, but but looking at like an exhibit, <laughs> we don't think so. But looking at an exhibit like today of, of something as immense as these scrolls and things like that, we can just see the historicity of it and why it's important for us to um, gain a connection to it. it. It made me leave today and want to, to learn more than what I knew, and it was great to walk around with Justin because he's just like a wealth of information about things I didn't know about. Uh, Matt's getting ready to go to the Holy Land here in January, and may- maybe we're going to try. Uh, gonna try to uh, make a pilgrimage over that way. But um, I think uh, the highlight of my day, in all seriousness, and and by all seriousness I mean not serious at all, um, it was the Hanukkah duck at the gift shop on the way out. I don't understand quite what that was, but they had all these rubber duckies they were selling in the gift shop of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, and they were. Basically, just rubber duckies with uh, with prayer scarves and uh, and yarmulkes and uh, <laughs> and candelabras, right? And candle, yeah, <laughs> the, the Hanukkah candles and stuff. So, it, it again, that's kind of an interesting part of our conversation too. We have all this ancient, and then <laughs> you walk out of something feeling so sacred, and then all of a sudden it's like, here, buy a Hanukkah duck on your way. Out. You know, don't make sure you stop at the gift shop to buy you know one of these sacred relics on your way home. So. Um, Anyway, uh, that's I don't know if we accomplished much at all other than just to chat for 30 minutes here together, but uh, I have enjoyed it immensely. Do you guys have any, any thoughts as we close out today? As um, actually, just to respond one more time to what Justin was saying, because I think there is a tendency for us to uh, tear down without offering an alternative, mm-hmm. and, uh, and on that, that issue of oversimplification and complication, that, that maybe there is a real beauty and value in that person who... It may not always be simple and clear cut, but they continue to wrestle with it and they yeah. continue yeah. to struggle with it. Right. And that we have a story that is, as we said from all this stuff, so deep historically, so broad in in its variations on a theme, talking about the the idea, you know, foster mentions and, and streams of living water that is so diverse in all the the traditions that are Orthodox Christian traditions. Um, that that this ongoing struggle that we have where we just keep wrestling with it there's a there's a real beauty in that and sometimes it's not near as complicated to keep trying to wrestle with it as it is to try to just okay let's put it one more simple statement so that we can nail something down yeah well said very true and with that I'll say to all of you gentlemen thank you for being the voices in my head this week This is one extra uh, here on Voices in My Head this week. I forgot to ask the question of the week. And uh, because Matt and Justin have what I consider to be a pretty funny story about this, question of the week for this week is, do you ever do you have any experience you can share where you feel like you stepped out of reality uh, for, for a minute or something? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you mine just as I start. It, it, I was at a Dairy Queen one time that had a breakfast bar, so that seemed like it was out of the, out of the realm of reality. But their story also involves a Dairy Queen, so I'm going to let uh, Matt Cole and Justin Hayes tell you their answer to question of the week this week. Well, okay. Um, we we just want to we just want to say in advance that if this makes no sense, don't worry. I'm not sure it makes sense to us either. Um, we. We, we were driving back from a conference, and we stopped... Do we want to mention the town? Yeah. Okay. We're going to... And we stopped in Bardstown, Kentucky, at a Dairy Queen. And um, we're not really sure what happened. We, we think that what may, what may have happened is we, 
we may have actually stopped, stepped out of the the normal uh, universe and stepped into the Twilight Zone, to be honest with you. <laughs> we go into this Dairy Queen, and when we get in there, we're, we're just stopping, you know, we've been on the road for a while, we're just going to grab a burger, uh, grab us a Coke, and then and then head on down the road, get home. And as we, as we step into this Dairy Queen, literally as if though time had stopped, we go in... And there's a, a gentleman. Okay, there was a male, and what we we come to discover through conversation, his mother, his father was in another area of the restaurant, and they start having this huge argument over ice cream and hot dogs. I mean, to a name calling match, and to the point to where one of the phrases is, "I'm gonna kill you." Um, all the while, everyone else that's in the restaurant, mostly employees of the restaurant are just kindly mulling around and totally oblivious to this shouting match conversation that's taking place. Yeah, everyone's moving slowly. Uh, we walk up, we walk up to the counter because we just want to get our, we just want food. We don't want to get sucked into some sort of um, supernatural phenomenon. We we just want burgers. And so we walk up and the the girl the girl taking orders doesn't say a word, but almost like stares at us with the please help me get out of here look in her eyes, and we're not really sure who's supposed to start, and so we kind of get into a staring match for about 30 seconds, and then finally I say, I guess I'll just have a cheeseburger and a, and a Coke to go. And so, uh, after ordering, so after ordering, after this, this staring contest and ordering, um... <laughs> I step back and then I just kind of stand there for the next I don't know ten to fifteen minutes waiting for my order, and uh, but trust me, it, it wasn't just silence. There was activity going on all around us. So Justin places his order, and I'm, I'm actually going to place my order after him. But after he places his order, she leaves, and and it's not like she walked away or walked to another place. She kind of vanishes, and and and. This should be very odd, except for everyone seems to just appear and vanish randomly. <laughs> and so, while she has walked away and I'm waiting for her to come back to take my order, the shouting match continues as to whether or not this guy's going to kill his mother I'm over... I'm going to kill you over this hot dog <laughs> ice cream! <laughs> and uh, so... Adding the sound effect for you. There. That conversation <laughs> continues. And this other young lady, probably high school age, uh, maybe just right out of high school, um, comes out and just proceeds to dump a five-gallon bucket of water onto the floor and, and out the door. Not as if though she was going out the door to empty it, but she just decided I've walked far enough and she just dumps the water. And it, it goes spreading out across the floor and out the door. At which point she reaches over, picks up a mop, and starts to mop. And let's just say about this one particular young lady, she would probably have had a great career as a plumber. Um, so, um, a glaring career something, as a plumber. Something about the uh, britches she was wearing. Yeah, I something, guess. something about those low riders. Uh, so, that's happening. Behind the counter is the cook. The cook has received the order and proceeds to do squat. Um, he just stands there. He kind of is just staring off into space. He's not preparing anybody else's order. He's just standing there. And then out of this back door back behind where the cook is comes a, a, a gentleman with a bucket of ice set up on his shoulder. He walks out of that door across the kitchen up to where the soda machine is where I'm just thinking, okay, he's going to dump the ice in there. Gets all the way up to the soda machine, passes it by about three steps turns and then proceeds to walk the exact same course that he came in and leaves again. <laughs> Somewhere about this point, there is a gentleman who comes up, again, another employee. So, I mean, they, they had a pretty well staffed. Uh, another gentleman comes out of the bathroom area. Shoes are just dripping wet. He's, you know, the, the hems of his pant legs are wet. His hands are wet. And he comes out and says something in reference to the job that he's doing and just randomly says it to no one and then turns around and walks back into the bathroom. And by this point, there's another young lady who comes behind the counter, I'm assuming maybe to take orders, and she just kind of walks aimlessly around before she just sort of, again, vanish, I know isn't what I'm trying to communicate, but it sure it's felt the like closest they were word. It's, it's not as if though she walked away, she just 
kind of disappeared out of the scene. And then by this point, the other lady comes back to take my order, at which i got to be honest, I'm almost thinking I don't want to eat any food from this place. Yeah. About that time, about that time, after Matthew steps up to start taking an order, a customer who has been sitting in the dining room comes up and stands next to me and says, says nothing, doesn't order anything, doesn't walk out the front door, doesn't say, excuse me, I'm getting packets of ketchup. He just comes and stands next to me. I turn and look at him. He looks back at me, confused as to why I'm looking at him. And then proceeds to go back and sit down where he came from. And well, go ahead. So, I think eventually, then about that time, I get my food. And I'm standing there holding it. And we're still waiting on Matthews. Now, you have to understand... The, the whole of this taking place is probably what? Span of 15 minutes? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And and they finally come back with my food. However, before they get back with my food, the, the gentleman I talked about earlier with the ice on his shoulder yeah. comes and makes the trip two more times. <laughs> exact same trip. Not kind of close. The exact same trip. Twice <laughs> in a row he comes out and does this exact same thing. Ice on the shoulder and leaves. The, the lady is still off to the side again with a a full handled mop but continues to mop completely bent over uh, which is disturbing in and of itself the the lady who refused to take any orders who was actually there when we first came in has come back out went away the one who actually took our orders has come out and actually spoken to the um uh, uh the cook and and said something to him so that he would actually start making the orders and Justin and I have not said a word to each other since we've been in there I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, aside from saying my order, I don't think I said a single word to anybody the entire time I was yeah, in there. Same here. And so all this happens in this span of 15 minutes or so, and I finally get my food. We go back out to the car, and upon getting to the car, there's yeah. just this awkward silence. We, we actually pull out of the restaurant. We're, we're maybe three or four minutes down the road before either one of us looks to the other and says, did, did you just experience any of that? Did any of that register as odd to you? And I think that Justin's key line to end, to end this conversation, this story, was you ever feel like you stepped out of reality and into a Dairy Queen? <laughs> You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.